there now that I wish I would have had then. Oh yeah, and I just had a thought. I remember I spilled coffee once on that clipboard, and oh, I no. remember it was like <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I had lost everything. It's I, yes, you spilled coffee on your laptop, and you're gonna same, be a, you're gonna be in the same, same boat. That's true. <laughs> I did a lot of uh, PBL work in my room. Welcome to this week's episode of The Birdcast, where our mission is to empower teachers to develop innovative lessons that create powerful learning experiences for every student that walks into a Birdville ISD school. In this episode, we will explore the workshop model, share strategies and ideas, and how we personally blended our classrooms. Welcome to The Birdcast. So we're going to take a little bit of time now to kind of look at our workshop model and how we can blend each component of the workshop model. So we know the workshop model consists of the mini lesson, the workstations, and the discussion. And each component can easily be adjusted or changed to be a blended uh, component. So we're going to start with that mini lesson. So typically, like in y'all's mini lessons in your classrooms, what, where would you start with your mini lessons? Uh, I would start with kind of uh, talking through maybe what we did previously, um, you know, figuring out what exactly do we need to get covered here uh, compared to sort of what we did the day before, finish up any scaffolding, stuff like that, um, and then kind of introduce uh, the new material uh, and talk about sort of here's here's why it's important um, you know link it to the specific teak that this lesson is over um, and sort of the expectation for where you're going to be toward the end of it so that way you've got where you were kind of where we're at and then where we need to be uh, at the end of it and is that just typically like you in front of the class just talking probably um, you know I in my room generally tried to have a rule of I don't talk for more than about four minutes at the start of class because otherwise, um, you know, nobody wants to hear me talk for more than four minutes. Uh, and then the kids are working kind of on their own and I'm moving about the room afterwards. Mm -hmm. okay. okay, so I think one of the hardest parts for me was to keep the mini lesson mini. You know, because you get into oh, yeah. those really cool discussions, especially with littles. I don't know, it probably happens in, in the upper grades too, but the littles just get going mm -hmm. and you want to keep hearing their thoughts and keep going with that mini lesson. But like you said, about four minutes is about all we can handle. And then it's time to get going. Right. It's time to get to those stations and, and get working on student work. Right. And you can have those discussions at their stations. You know, it's not like, you know, oh, this, this is the end of mini lesson. I'm no longer going to do... Uh, this I'm not the teacher anymore. anymore yeah. Right, right. Um, you know, you, you just want to make sure that you're getting into where the kids are actually doing something and not sitting and, and looking at you uh, while you talk at mm -hmm. them. Right. Yeah. I know and sometimes my mini lesson, I'll be honest, did stretch a little bit longer than I wanted to, but I still wanted to kind of like check in on my kids, like a progress check. So I would do like a shout out or like a padlet, like where they quickly pause on the mini lesson and kind of answer a quick question that way all students were discussing, but they were using the technology um, to do that. So I hated when I would teach for like 10 minutes and I look back at them and I'm like, did y'all even catch any of that? Um, so it was important for me to have those little progress checks kind of in between um, throughout my mini lesson. What an easy way to do some blended, right? So that solves that problem with not wanting to stop the discussion because they can continue to add to that Padlet later mm -hmm. in a station or 
you know, something so I can still check in with everybody and get everybody's thoughts. Right. But, and I think it kind of re-engages the student because when you're just sitting there, maybe like taking notes, just listening to a teacher and when the pause and get to actually process what the teacher's been explaining to you it helps them stay more engaged and focused in their their learning other than just sitting there like okay is she done yet that That, kind of thing that was one of the hardest parts of kind of teaching the pandemic was you know oh i'm gonna record a video for them to watch Mm -hmm. oh my gosh somehow this video turned into a 20 minute (laughs) long uh you know me chatting and and I've got to really cut down on oh, yeah. sort of what what do I actually need them to know because there's zero chance that anybody is going to listen to me talk for 20 minutes, yeah, and, right. let alone remember anything that I said. Right. And that's cool too, though, because you can still do those flipped, you know, videos to where maybe some of your students, um, are you get taking the mini lesson by watching like a Canvas Studio video or an Edpuzzle video while you do a mini lesson with a smaller group of students? So, Yeah. When I was teaching early elementary, it was a little bit easier because I was self-contained. It's like I had full control of my schedule. Mm-hmm. I was very like, chop, chop, we have to go because um, <laughs> I'm going to run out of time before lunch or snack or whatever or before I lose their attention because right. teaching first graders is a different beast. But with third grade, I was co-teaching with somebody, so I only taught ELAR, and so my schedule was not 100% mine. But I didn't have full ownership of my day. So again, with my mini lesson, I really had to watch my time because if I ran out of time, then that group was going to be behind and it would cause a lot of chaos. And then I had special ed in one group and then the other group was GT. And so like one mini lesson wasn't going to be the same Mm -hmm. for everybody. So the conversations we had for that introduction would be different than for GT kids. And so for me, especially in that split setting, there was a lot of kind of a pre-assessment situation to see what have we retained and where are we and can we keep moving forward, especially with my SPED kids Mm because those um, special ed teachers would come in and they kind of would check in to see, okay, what do I need to work on when I have this kid in my group and stuff like that. Whereas GT, it was a little bit different. We could come in, kind of regroup, and then we could just keep running. Mm -hmm. And so those different groups too would be different. So there's not a cookie cutter situation either with mini lesson. There's not one way to do it. There's not one standard, not one tool, not right. one of anything, depending on the kids and what you're doing. Some mini lessons are a complete brand new introduction. What do you notice? What do you see? Mm-hmm. What do you know about this topic? Whatever. And sometimes it's, what do you remember about what we talked about yesterday? Do you remember what the letter <laughs> A says? Yeah. Let's review. So like, it would just depend, but like, Teaching first grade and third grade were wildly different for me, and like oh, yeah. what those mini lessons looked like were always drastically different. And that's one of the things that you can really do with blended learning is you know differentiate, mm-hmm. and you can have twenty kids in your room that are all at different places, and you know if if you've set your lesson up correctly, um, you know you can reach every kid sort of where they're at, and and not give a cookie cutter lesson that you know maybe really only applies to two or three of them. Um, and, and the others are either bored to tears or you're talking way over their head and they don't know what you're even talking about. Right. Yeah. And it would be a really quick way, too, to see if I needed to adjust my groups before we moved into station rotation because I may have thought that that was the right grouping. And then based on that pre-assessment, I may be like, oh, actually, I need this friend over here. <laughs> this, like, I need to move some friends really quickly before we start because they weren't quite where I thought they needed to be or they had progressed more than I had anticipated. And so... I could rearrange my groups really quickly too right before and say, you know what, maybe this is where we need to start today and what this will look like. And so just being able to be flexible too Mm -hmm. is important because 
you should be responsive to the feedback you're getting in the mini lesson. If you're just doing it for the sake of checking it off to say I did it because Mm -hmm. that's what the structure says I'm supposed to do, that's not really helpful. If you're collecting live data from them, whether it's actual data or paper or whatever Mm -hmm. discussion, you're collecting data from them and you should use that to move forward. And so really trying to make sure that those mini lessons are purposeful. Yeah, so it's more than just sitting there under the document camera with your hand and kids just copying down what you write. It's got to be a meaningful mini lesson that is differentiated and meets every kid where they're at. So by blending, it makes it a lot easier. So then we'll kind of move into the next part of our workshop model, which are workstations. And just in kind of thinking, how have y'all used the workshop model and blended in your stations? How have you made your stations more blended? Okay, well, so 17 years ago, (laughs) when I first started teaching, I was teaching first grade, and I learned really quickly that trying to teach 22 first graders whole group lessons does not work. (laughs) I mean, everybody doesn't stay on task and listen? You know, you think when you're in college, you're like, oh, this is going to be easy. I've got this. And then first day. (laughs) (laughs) Especially with first grade. Yeah, Yeah. sure. So I needed to find a way to make smaller communities in that classroom setting with 22 kids. So small group was essential. Mm -hmm. Had to find a way to get with each kid every day. You know, so stations just came naturally Mm -hmm. with that group. Yeah, even in the secondary field, I think each kid does need that one-on-one time with the teacher, even if they're seniors in high school. Um, that time is just so crucial to, to be able to grow and for the teacher to be able to provide that positive and productive feedback. Because when it's just that check on the paper or whatnot, that's not really meaningful to the student. So right. that small group setting, I think, is important K through 12. Absolutely. Um, I, I have a, a freshman in high school now, my, my personal child. And his favorite thing about the day is when he has one-on-one conversations with the teacher. And you wouldn't think so because, you know, 14-year-old boy doesn't mm-hmm. even want to talk to his mom most of the time. But <laughs> he loves his teachers and yeah. he wants that, that interaction and he learns better in a small group. So it, it does. It goes all the way. And, and once, you, once you've got a kid like that, you know, you can ask them to do pretty much anything. And, and they'll at least give it a shot, um, you know, if... if the only interaction you ever have with the kid is, um, you know, when you're, when you're maybe waving by to them or when you're <laughs> talking to the whole class. Um, and even if you try to make eye contact with them, that's, that's not really going to build that relationship. But, you know, if, if you're going around to them while they're at a, a workstation or, or, you know, during independent work time or whatever, and, you know, maybe it's only 30 seconds, um, you know, like that, that one-on-one time with them is... How you how you hook a kid for you know the rest of that week or maybe even that month or year mm-hmm. for sure. Let's let's chat about because you know the small group time for me was easy once I had the pre work done. So when I first started planning stations, it took hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was doing most of the work. I was exhausted. My kids were bored. So something needed to change. I started having to ask myself, you know, who's really doing the work here and how do, how do I keep it on them and student-centered? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I spent hours and hours cutting things out and researching and putting things together for the kids. And then once you let go of that and start letting them do those things on their own, mm-hmm. sure, wow, right? 
just the ownership, I think, it just goes through the roof because it's not like you just handed me this card sort and I have to do it. I'm going to create this card sort myself and then maybe have my friend complete it. So um, what other kind of stations would y'all use? I know we have our small group station. Um, did you typically have about three to four other stations? How many stations did y'all's classrooms typically consist of? So I had four stations. That was my norm. Um, teacher table was always one. I saw every kid every single day. Didn't matter if they were sped, GT, didn't care. Every child was going to get time with me, period. Mm -hmm. um, and back to the relationship thing, like I learned so much from my kids being able to sit and talk to them every day. And it's funny because they would all slowly move their chairs to the other side of the teacher table <laughs> to want to sit next to me. And I'm like, can you go back to me? <laughs> you all can't sit on this side. It has a curve for one human. Um, but because of that relationship, they wanted to sit with me. They were eager to come to my table. That was their favorite station by the end because they wanted that one-on-one -on -one time. Um, and they all knew that teacher table was going to be different for each group, but nobody ever questioned it. They just knew in their minds, they knew I was differentiating for them. Granted, I was differentiating a different way than they thought. They thought it was, oh, she's just caring so much about me. Like, I'm also looking <laughs> at your data, but yes, I do care about you, but they thought it was so personal to them because I would pick books based on topics that they liked. I didn't just pick a random passage or a random text. Um, but I always did teacher table and I was very strategic to start with my lowest kids first because if there was ever that fire drill or whatever, if I didn't make it to my high group, I knew the next day I could catch up with them. But I always made a priority of starting with my lowest kids first. So they always had the max amount of time and the max amount of attention. It's a great idea. Um, so that was important to me, especially because I had SPED and GT in the same room. I wanted to make sure those SPED kids just got everything that they possibly could and maximize that time. For reading, I had a think tank station where they had a picture book, so it was something smaller that they could read independently or they could read together. And then each day there were different skills that they had to work with. So there'd be like some type of response activity, but they could create whatever they wanted, but something to show me what were the important parts of the book. And depending on the teaks, there may be specific things that I asked for, um, depending on the project, maybe a timeline was a teak, so make me a timeline, whatever it was. But they were doing lots of creating, but based on a picture book that they read independently and worked on together. Um, obviously word work, phonics is huge in elementary. I need you to understand why words sound the way they do and how they work together. And then I had an online station of some kind, whether it was Education Galaxy or something like that. I tried to do Education Galaxy like one day a week, not mm -hmm. an everyday thing, but it was a product that was important. It was collecting data. So I complied and I used that, but I wasn't, we're going to spend 20 minutes on Education Galaxy all day, every day. Um, there are other tools and resources out there. And so that's where they would get into Google Slides and make something book creator mm -hmm. or whatever but they would have a task over there or they would do an assessment for me so I could see how we were doing and the math would be the same thing every kid came to me for math I needed to see how you were understanding math like I had a kid when we were doing regrouping who just slashed all the numbers on the top that's not how regrouping works <laughs> I'm so glad somebody at home taught you that and that's exactly what he said my mom said just to slash it out and put a one like, cool, but there was a three there, so it's not a one. Like, let's talk about that. But you could quickly see, like, the things that they were doing. Mm -hmm. And if I had just left them by themselves or in a whole group, I wouldn't have missed that conversation with that student. And then for math, we did a lot of math facts, but I didn't make that a station. It was like a one day a week, let's check on your math facts. Like, yes, they're important, but I have other things that I need you to learn mm -hmm. and grow into. I really need you to understand that numbers have a place and a value and how those work together and how that builds on other things. So I did a lot of hands-on stations, lots of games, things like that. 
especially for math. I wanted them to use manipulatives and just work with the numbers in a different way. So I would challenge them to add or subtract or whatever in a different way that wasn't their norm so they could understand how those numbers work together. But math was definitely all hands-on, give me all the manipulatives, all the things. I wanted them to play and mess with those and kind of see what they were doing. And then for accountability, they had to post a photo in their portfolio every day so their parents can see and I could see. Um, definitely wanted the accountability and then the feedback and mm-hmm. the data because then I could show it to their special ed teacher and say, hey, we're really struggling with this. Here's what it looks like. Things like that. I'm talking a lot with my hands as if people can see me. But <laughs> <laughs> we see your hands moving. We get it. So, so out of eight your stations four? for one day, it was kind of my norm, which is yeah. not the norm for everybody. If you're self-contained, right. you have something like that. But well, I know in secondary, typically, I think we see four stations with one of them being the teacher table and then one of them being like an online station. So it sounds like the same thing happened in elementary where mm-hmm. they didn't have their computers in front of them at every single station. But there was always at least one station that was set aside mm-hmm. to be purely on their Chromebooks and using the technology that they have. So I love that. If I get closer to this, is the volume going to be okay? Can I share with Okay. So looking back at my, you know, experience with stations, I have a lot of ideas and I've seen a lot in classrooms now that I think, wow, if I had that to lean on mm-hmm. then, how different my teaching would have been. So are there like things what? like yeah, that? Yeah, I want to know. Like what were okay, some of the so, things you're talking about? Well, so the station rotation will always begin with me kind of walking them through each station. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is what you're going to do here, and this is what you're going to do here, and mm-hmm. then you're going to go here. But and I wouldn't be at that ooh. station until, like, 30 exactly. minutes from now. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so now I could utilize something like Canvas or Seesaw and record those instructions mm-hmm. and clone myself, even give an example, you know, right there yeah. where they could rewatch it over and over mm-hmm. as many mm-hmm. times as they needed to. Things like that yeah. would just make things so much easier and on that, everyone and that makes it more student-centered because it's putting it on them it's like watch this video I've given you the instructions now you go and you figure it out exactly yeah. and that's of... how they learn right mm-hmm. like yeah. watching kids now if they really want to know how to do something they'll look it up yep and, and teach themselves that's how I had to learn differentiation easier too like yeah. the way people are doing that through canvas I'm like oh man that'd have been so much easier than like 17 different colored bins for all these people mm-hmm. like being able to put that into Canvas, I'm like, oh, there's just so much beauty is in there. And, like, the mastery paths would be so incredible to use. Like, oh, yeah. I was, like, doing paper assessments and, like, trying to figure all that out. And I wasn't one-to-one. I made myself one-to-one mm-hmm. by, like, collecting devices over time. And so, like, I had these Chromebooks and then I had these laptops and we had some iPads. And we eventually made it one-to-one so that we could do some of those engaging things. But... Yeah, I didn't have nearly what we have now. And there's mm-hmm. so many things I would go back and do differently if I had the tools we had now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I had a clipboard where I had every standard and I would like check off whether or not after the small group table how that kid was doing. And now it's like all I had to do was build a mastery path or all I had to do was, you know, create a differentiated mm-hmm. thing for them to complete. And then I get my data and yeah. I would have to carry on that clipboard everywhere I went. <laughs> Assessing each student one by one. Okay, let's t- let's count your numbers today. Uh-huh. Like you have to do that with twenty kids. Yep. We're like, mm-hmm. I could do it all at once. Mm-hmm. Like there are so many wonderful tools out there now that I wish I would have had then. Oh yeah, and I just had a thought. I remember I spilled coffee once on that clipboard, oh, and I yeah. remember it was like <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I had lost everything. It's I, yes, you spilled coffee on your laptop, and you're 
you're gonna be same, a, you're gonna be in the same, same boat. boat. That's true. <laughs> I did a lot of uh, PBL work in my room, and so didn't necessarily have the same sort of station rotation. But you know, we still had sort of almost like a playlist where you know we're gonna start with you know we'll we'll talk about where you should be on your project. Um, and then, you know, a collaboration where the kids are going to talk to each other about sort of where are you at on yours, where am I at on mine, and then, you know, talk through any issues that we're having. Because a lot of times once you said something out loud, you solve your own problem. Mm -hmm. um, and then afterwards, you know, independent time while I work my way through the room to check in on everybody. Um, so you still end up with stations, quote unquote, um, as I make air quotes, you can't <laughs> see me. Um, but... You, you can do sort of one thing in your class and still have it be, um, you know, blended with stations. Um, you know, don't necessarily think of it as, oh, time's up. You know, the timer on the screen says rotate. Um, that, that doesn't necessarily have to be what it looks like um, for everybody. You know, you model and, and make things work the way it needs to work for your classroom, I think, is kind of a key that teachers need to think about. So do you feel like station rotation maybe steps into playlists? Like, do you feel like they need to begin with some kind of structure first to learn how to be more independent before you can do? I think that playlist is probably a little bit easier, um, you know, especially for a teacher that's first starting out where they're a little uncomfortable with the idea of, well, but if the kid hasn't seen me yet, how are they going to know what to do at this mm -hmm. station? If I haven't taught them the, the material that they're going to get at this uh, teacher station, um, you know, if, if everybody gets sort of our, our beginning and then the teacher sees them later on during the lesson um, to kind of check in and, and see, you know, did they get what I was trying to say at the beginning? Mm -hmm. um, that gives them a lot more comfort, I think, um, versus, you know, Hopefully I'll see him eventually um, and we'll work it out then. Yeah. I think with littles, it changes the game a little bit, mm -hmm. right? Letting them, uh, they have to learn how to guide themselves. Sure. Oh, yeah. And, you know, mm -hmm. set up a, a to-do list, things like that, that just aren't something that you naturally do, especially mm -hmm. when you're used to, okay, this is what you're doing today and I need you to do it in this order. Mm -hmm. And you have until this time mm -hmm. to have it done mm -hmm. that's what they're used to yeah and so i feel like station rotations you know step them into a more self-guided kind of learning yeah they oh, need yeah. the structure for sure like mm -hmm. i was very structured i had a timer on the board they could see when it was counting down they knew when there was three minutes left chop chop you better be wrapping up because when we rotate you better go <laughs> like, <laughs> the next group is coming but I would set higher expectations because, like, if another group would go to the station and there was manipulatives all over the place, we were stopping. Everybody's going back where you were. Check your station. You better clean it up. And we are not moving until everybody's got it done. And then mm -hmm. we would go. Um, so I was constantly setting the expectation of making sure everything was clean before you left because we moved around the room. I wanted them to get up and move because sitting for 90 minutes in one space as a second grader is mm -hmm. a nightmare. Like they just cannot, like you can just see them like having seizures in the corner and like, <laughs> I need to get up. Um, so I would intentionally make them move, but we also set the expectation of what do you do when you're here? How do you work as a team? What is the expectation when you rotate? We're not running from, you know, place to place. Like we set up every single tiny 
rule and expectation mm-hmm. possible, which I don't know if you guys have that oh, experience yes. <laughs> in secondary, but we would spend probably three weeks of like practicing just the expectation, oh, yeah. which teachers hate because they feel like they're losing instructional time. But you're getting that time back because when you're doing small groups and you're working with those kids one-on-one, they're learning so much more than in a whole group setting. So I think people get afraid of losing that time, air quote, losing the time. You're really not because you're going to get it back when you have those small groups and you're getting to really do some intensive instruction with them. If I was going to do whole group in my classrooms and the back in the, there's no way. I mean, I would either be talking to my special ed kids or my GT kids, but there's no way I could be talking to both at the same time Mm -hmm. and hitting all of their needs. And I used to do that in a training with teachers. I would get a piece of paper and have them write like GT, special ed, 504, dyslexic, all over the paper, and then give them a cookie cutter to trace so they could visually see how many kids did you cut out when you did this cookie cutter activity. Like you cut out somebody no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I was very much about the station rotations and yes it is hard to set up those expectations but spend the time doing it you're going to get the time back and the learning is going to be so much greater in yeah. the end I mean I taught in middle school so I will say you still need those clear expectations for your stations and it does take time to kind of build that foundation but you're so right once you have that set and kids understand what they're you know accountable for it's just it goes smooth you know flawlessly classroom in the classroom is key mm-hmm Definitely. I I mean, talking to teachers, most of the time, if station rotation or a blended model is not working, it's because we didn't set up Mm -hmm. the classroom management Mm -hmm. first. And I think starting with that one station, maybe being online and you could slowly branch out to Mm -hmm. more of them, but starting small and then growing from there is really what I think most teachers, you know, have done or will do. One, keeping those stations meaningful and relevant Mm -hmm. and engaging, not same old, same old thing every time because that's the other thing is, well, my kids are bored. Well, what are you asking them to do? And that's where you start to see some of those behaviors come out because they're not engaged. You're just putting them somewhere to keep them busy Mm -hmm. and they're going to find another way to keep themselves (laughs) busy and it's not going to be the one that you want. So making sure that those station rotations are not just babysitters because Mm -hmm. that happens a lot too. Like I've had teachers where they, each station was just another online program. But that's not engaging for the kids, and you just sat them in front of the computer. But mm-hmm. their response is, well, it kept them quiet so I could work with my small group. Well, let's think about your expectations and your classroom management because that's the key factor mm-hmm. there. It's a really good point that it's not about keeping them busy. Exactly. Every station should be a learning mm-hmm. station. It's still instructional time. Like, that's my big thing is even though they're not sitting with you at your teacher table, that's still instructional time. They're losing those minutes if you're not giving them key instruction. You don't have to be the one giving them the exact key instruction at that station but that's instructional minutes mm-hmm. so they're losing that time if you're just throwing them on something just to keep them busy well, and i always said if if the room is too quiet that tells me something isn't isn't quite right in my classroom mm-hmm. because like it, it should be fairly noisy yep. um, you know hopefully on task noisy um, but you know if, if kids are talking to each other as long as they're talking on task, like that's mm-hmm. that's more than fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like that means that they're actually engaged. Mm-hmm. So, what kind of tools did you use for accountability? So they're having those discussions, and you're missing it because you're at your table with your small group. Mm-hmm. So, how, what what kinds of things have you seen, or did you try so that you could hear those discussions? Class Dojo was mine because we didn't have seesaw or anything like that. 
the Class Dojo has the portfolio page. Mm-hmm. So at every station, you had to take a picture of what you did. I wanted to see your work and write a statement. Mm-hmm. Even in first grade, you're taking that photo and you're writing something. So I can see it and your parents can see it. And they would get a dojo point each time they did it. So they could earn four points just from rotating just by turning in their accountability and if they didn't then they would know and their parents would know because Mm -hmm. they wouldn't have all four points for the day for doing their accountability but it was also great on the flip side of open house where parents could just scroll and scroll and scroll and see all the things that they did Mm -hmm. and see how their kid progressed through the year but class dojo was my lifesaver for accountability because they would take the photo tell me what they did and then I could quickly see like what was working and what was not working Let's say last year, every station had instructions usually on Canvas, and then the reflection piece for that station was on Canvas. So I sometimes just had text entry boxes where they just kind of wrote me, I called it a one-minute paper, but they would just write me no information or answer my reflecting question, or we've even done it to where they would just record audio and they would just talk to it. Um, I tried the picture thing, but I'll be honest, my kiddos weren't very good at taking pictures (laughs) of their work where I could view it and actually give, you know, productive feedback. So I tended to do more of the text entry box or just the audio recordings, or they could do media recordings and they would, you know, make videos of themselves as they showed off, you know, their hands-on work that they had just done at that station. They did a lot of, again, PBL type stuff. So we have an actual form that, um, you know, after you have your collaboration, your, you know, three minute, how, how am I doing today? Um, you know, how are you doing today? They would each fill out, you know, here's, here's what we discussed. Um, you know, here's the issue that we talked about. Here's the plan that we're going to try today uh, in order to, to fix the issue that we're having. Um, or if we're not having an issue, kind of here's where we discussed the plan for the day um, on, you know, whatever it is that we're trying to, to accomplish. Um, so that way they had it down um, of, you know, when we get to independent working time, it wasn't, oh, I don't know what I need to work on. Um, you know, they actually had um, stuff pre-planned out um, mm-hmm. that I didn't necessarily have to say, here's what you need to work on today. They came up with, here's what I'm going to work on today. Um, gives them a lot more ownership mm-hmm. and then makes it easy for me to go back and say, well, this is what you said you were going to do. Um, you know, why why is none of it actually done? Mm-hmm. Um, makes that conversation a lot more productive because maybe they can say, well, I thought this was what I was going to do, but it turned out I actually needed to have worked on a prior step beforehand. Right. And I loved it too because they would put their information into Canvas from that station and I would just take home my computer to see how the stations went instead of having to take home those Mm -hmm. baskets that were all wild and papers flying out of it. So definitely using just that accountability at the end of the station being on a computer really, Mm -hmm. really saved some time for me. So you're kind of getting into the the next part of workstations, right? Mm -hmm. The reflection piece, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of times what gets left off. Right. Right. You run out of time, Mm -hmm. so you don't do that piece. But what an easy way to have some accountability, pull up whatever they submitted Mm -hmm. and show it to the class. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Look at this one. Look, you know, look what your your friend said about this station. How do you feel about that? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what sometimes my mini lesson the next day would turn into. So if Mm -hmm. I missed the reflection, then the next day we would kind of start with, what did we do yesterday? What worked well? What didn't work well? What do we remember having those conversations before moving forward? Because again, I don't want to move forward if we're not ready. It's like that reflection is so important. Like we have to find a way to do it. But yeah, it is 
often left off because you run out of time mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But. Which is another way that technology can help, mm-hmm. right? So right. we can collect that reflection piece from them. Mm-hmm. And then if we're out of time, we'll talk about it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We've got it all right here. And then, right. you know, it's a good reminder of what we did yesterday. And yeah, sometimes when they were coming in in the morning, like, hey, we didn't get to do our reflection yesterday. As y'all are coming in and putting backpacks away, here's what I need you to do. And that way I could at least collect it and look at it before we started too. So there's always ways to sneak that in Mm -hmm. somehow or another. And I love things like Lumio or Padlet where you can throw those things up really fast. Uh It's very, very quick. It doesn't take five, 10 minutes. You could do it in 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. Set a timer, six seconds, post it on the board, let's go. And so you can push through those things if you need to. Obviously, we want to spend more time, but when time is short, there are a lot of quick tools out there to collect that information from your kids. I remember before I was one-to-one, I had always have, I was on an Avid campus, so we always had our essential question, and at the end of the day, they always had to answer their essential question, their EQ, and I had these cute little pieces of paper, and they were like, look like a little composition book. I loved them. The kids would write and write, and it just took them so long. I would run out of time. The bell would ring, and they weren't done with their EQ response. But when I made a Flipgrid, I mean, they could talk to that computer so fast mm-hmm. and answer all my questions in the EQ and go even more in depth um, versus just writing it out. Because it's just, we. I mean, we do it too. And before we write anything, we like to say it out loud or kind of think through it out loud. And by giving them that first opportunity to do that, it just went so much quicker. So I got much better at including my reflections when I, I use like a Flipgrid or just a video recording because it didn't take them near as long to do that as it did to write out, you know, five to seven sentences on a piece of paper. So. And you get to hear their personality. Yeah. And, you know, that you don't, you miss that when you're grading writing assignments. Yes. When they have that little video. Uh-huh. And there's some kids that are the quietest kids in class and you put them on a video and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. here comes mm-hmm. personality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of my kids though, they were like, miss, can I do this when I get home? And I'm like, yes, because sure. they didn't want to, you know, talk real loud in front of the class. But eventually she got more comfortable because she was yeah. always with that same group during the workstations and whatnot. So she got more comfortable by sitting just by the, that, you know, group sure. of kids to talk to the computer, but. My dyslexic kids loved any format that wasn't writing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They wanted the optional route because they had a hard time with writing and with spelling and that was a challenge for them. So they would spend so much time trying to figure out what to write and having that alternative was always good. I think Padlet was really a game changer for me um, in that kids could share, not only with me, kind of where they were at, on a project, they could share screenshots. Mm-hmm. I taught computer science, and so you know, a, a mock-up of here's where we're at right now. Um, you know, really, not only gave me a lot of information, but it it shared with everybody else in the class, and really made some good conversations where people would say, "How did you even do that?" You know, that's that's something I want to learn how to do. Um, and and you don't necessarily get that if you know you have them write on a piece of paper and and turn in an index card. You know, we can read those index cards even out loud the next day, but everybody being able to see, um, you know, where everybody else is, especially if everyone is doing something different, um, it's it's a really cool way to end every day um, and then a cool way to start the next day. Mm-hmm. And it's so much more meaningful, too, because if they're in a hurry and they're just writing IDK or whatever, right. you know, you just don't get near as much good quality responses. So, well, I like this. I think we got to talk about all different ways that you can make your, your workshop model very blended um, and ways that teachers can slowly kind of move and transition to a, a more blended classroom. 
And for this week's Calls from the Nest, I would like to kind of give a shout out to Kylie Cranford, the academic coach at North Richland, for all of her hard work on the intensive tutoring um, Canvas courses she's created for all 6th, 7th, and 8th grade students at North Richland. She's actually built some really cool mastery paths where each kid will kind of venture off into their own pathway for a specific standard. So shout out to Kylie for all our hard work. I want to give a shout out this week to the Bechtel students and teachers. They were at their Skills USA contest uh, this past Friday, and they rocked it. Uh, we've got kids going to state uh, in a ton of different pathways. Uh, so super excited to see how they do. Hopefully we can qualify some people to nationals. My call from the nest goes out to all of the wonderful elementary instructional coaches that have been working so hard to collect Lumio lessons for the teachers. Um, they're building them based on teaks and they are turning out beautifully. You guys have done such a great job and I know our teachers appreciate it. My call from the nest goes out to Jennifer Kimbrough, the instructional coach at WT Francisco. She teamed up with Rosa Barato, who is a fourth grade teacher also at WT. They created a wonderful Lumio lesson that they actually did with students. And Jennifer kind of teamed up with her and started the lesson and modeled. And then at the end, Miss Barato came in and kind of took over. And so she got to actually see how a Lumio lesson would work, but then actually do it with her students. And she was just so amazed by all the different tools and the things that her students could do. And her kids were just so incredibly engaged and she just can't wait to do more Lumio. And we want to give a quick shout out um, to all the teachers who participated in our Blended Learning and Authentic Student Work Canvas course on the February 21st PD Day. We had over 200 teachers um, working through that course and building their actual um, student rotation lesson plans. So thank you to all that signed up and participated. And then just a reminder to subscribe to the BirdCast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. <laughs>